Come, come, wherever you are. That's, to me, what Unitarian Universalism is all about. Bring all of yourself and come wherever you are. Welcome, everyone. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Rhonda Brown. And today, I'm one of the curriculum designers for Beloved Conversations, which is a virtual program that is focused on racial justice. On Monday, we celebrate the birthday of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, who famously said, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. Today, we will reflect on how that arc is bending towards justice at East Shore. I'm happy to say that many members of East Shore are currently enrolled in the Beloved Conversations program, and you're going to have the opportunity to hear about the experience of two of the participants. There is a lot going on in our world right now. The emotions I'm feeling are anxiousness, sadness, and anger over what's happening in our country today. But I'm also experiencing joy with the work that Black women did to give access to many disenfranchised people to vote. The strength and reliance with the relationships that I have solidified with family and friends as we continue to experience the ravages of COVID-19 and the comfort that I have a religious community that provides nourishment to me in ways that it never has before. You may be feeling some of these and many more. Let us acknowledge today where we are and reflect on the balm, the comfort for our soul that we are creating by being in community with one another right here, right now. My name is Mark Norelius, and I'm glad to see so many of you out there today. I've been participating in the Beloved Conversations program that has been going on for several months also. I know that many of you have been enrolled as Steve has mentioned. I signed up for the program with the encouragement of some of you, in fact. It was kind of a last-minute decision on my part this last fall, but I jumped in with both feet, and I'm really glad that I did. I never really thought of myself as a racial racial justice activist, but after reading Richard Rothstein's book, The Color of Law, and a few other books in this last year, I was shocked to know, to learn how little I know about the history of racial injustice in our own country. Additionally, as part of that understanding build, excuse me, I've come to see that some of the things that I've been aware of and really hadn't paid much attention to really are part of that history. But I just hadn't noticed it. I didn't notice it because it didn't affect me in any negative way or at least that's what I wanted to believe. I'm a local kid from Issaquah. I graduated from high school in 1970. 
We had maybe two or three African-American students there at Issaquah at the time. I knew one of them because he was on the basketball team, but I wouldn't say I was good friends with him. He was a great guy, but I, we never really became close friends. And, um, and I really, I don't think I really had any black or brown close friends all the way through my college years. Um, I remember hearing about redlining. I wondered about what it was. And when I learned more, I thought, well, that really doesn't make any sense, but it didn't really affect me. So I didn't, again, pay much attention to it. I do remember hearing jokes where people of color were the, the target of the jokes, um, off-color jokes, I would say. Um, and I may have told one or two of them myself just to be a part of the crowd that I was wanting to be a part of as a, as a, as a young adult. I was uncomfortable, but I didn't do anything about it. So I went off to college, joined the military, and then later moved into my professional career as an airline pilot, raised kids, and then I heard a story from my eldest son. Um, I had been telling him about my recent connection with the Right Relations Program or group here at East Shore, and my son had said, said to me, um, he had just been recently married <clears throat> at the time, um, he said to me that, uh, he said, you know, Dad, I think that Grandpa might have been racist. And I responded, well, why do you think that? He said, well, he said to me, to Emily and I, his new white bride, um, that, that uh, we should start having kids right away so we don't lose control of this country. And I... Uh, <laughs> By the time I heard that story, my father had passed away, but I must admit that it did make my skin crawl to hear that story. I love my father very much. I respected him very much in so many ways as a person, but I also know that he grew up in a world that was very different than the one I grew up in and very different than the world that my boys have grown up in. But that's the world. Um, his world has his generation caused a lot of damage and pain. I was, my generation has caused a lot of damage and pain and it does continue. So I knew that I, I, my understanding of this world needs to change and I've come to see that I want to be involved in that. So my enrollment in Beloved Conversations was the right thing to do at the right time for me. <clears throat> it probably should have happened a while ago, but I'm glad I'm involved now. I'm finding myself reflecting on who I've grown up to be and also wanting to shift as I go forward. Yes, it's uncomfortable at times, but that's okay. Some of you have heard me say that if I'm not a little uncomfortable, I'm probably not growing. And I, it's been a useful discomfort for sure. One part of the Beloved Conversations program is to periodically, periodically gather in, in pods, as Steve had mentioned. Will be in, in my case, we have uh, several members from East Shore that are people that I know, um, all, all white, and we meet in these in these pods every few weeks. They're structured so that we can talk with each other and share and learn from each other's stories, and then even once in a while call each other on things we're hearing from each other in a, in a safe but brave way. For me, it's been, it's been good for me to do it this way because I think it's important that, for me anyway, 
that I do my own work and not have someone else tell me how I need to change. Our recent pod meeting that was, had been recently scheduled for January 6th, the day of the, the Capitol siege, uh, we postponed it because of all the news that was going on and postponed it to Friday. And during our conversation on Friday, we reflected on some of the things that we had been learning about ourselves. And one of the things that I noticed that I shared is how um, my son, who I mentioned earlier, who was divorced and remarried, he married a, a, a woman of color. And she pointed out how differently the police treated the, uh, the, the violators of the, the siege, the siege of group that were attacking the, the Capitol, how much differently they treated them than the Black Lives Matter demonstrations that had occurred earlier for last year. And I, what I noticed and shared with the group was that I hadn't noticed that until she pointed it out. And I thought, well, why didn't I notice it? And she did. Well, I think the answer is pretty obvious. It didn't affect me in the way that it affected her. And uh, <clears throat> so bottom line, I obviously have a long way to go. And I'm, and I, I'm not ashamed of that. Um, I think that uh, we all have a long way to go. And I, I've also come to understand that it's not a place that I'm going to get to. It's a place that I'm going to work toward, but it's going to be a lifelong process for me. And Beloved Conversations program is a great program to help me along that path. It's been de designed so that each of us can work at our own pace. We all have different places. We are, we are all in different places on that journey, and the program accommodates that well. Hi, I'm Sue Yates, and I've been a member at East Shore for quite a few years. But I grew up outside of Boston in a small New, New England town. And my family enjoyed a long ancestral history going back centuries to that part of the world. So I was pretty immersed in Yankee culture and had a great deal of pride in much of it. But I've also become aware of part of that that has been troublesome for me recently. One of the codes was speech should be reasonable, calm, certainly, thoughtful, and anything that smacked of emotion or excessive energy was clearly wrong to be ignored and just, just wasn't plain, wasn't right. So that was pretty strong tea that I got in Boston. Fast forward to beloved conversations where the one of the tenets is to pay attention to uh, voices of minorities, uh, especially people of color. So it was a humbling and remains a humbling experience for me to watch a video of a UU black woman speaking on a stage from General Assembly who spoke, well, let's just say she was speaking passionately, but I registered it as default angry black woman and was coded to then just ignore it, dismiss it. And I could feel it in my body. I just vibrated from this sense of self-righteous knowing what was okay and what wasn't, and this was clearly wasn't. <laughs> um, it's curious to me that I didn't go back and listen again, but I didn't. 
weeks later, there was another class uh, where someone just kind of threw out a comment that why is it seen that black people can't be angry? And you think about how angry, how justified that angry anger is. But I still didn't go back and listen. I have to say it was only knowing that I had to speak to you today that made me return and find that, that lesson and listen. And you know, she wasn't angry. She was determined and passionate about something really important. One of the messages was, can we all stay together through thick and thin and see this through? And her comment was, I need you. I need you to survive. I, you're important to me. <laughs> this, um, this is, it's hard for me to admit how very difficult this transformation has been. It seems kind of crazy, but it was hard for me to see how much my attitudes were governed by beliefs that my way was the way. And there was a lack of acceptance or humility to see it through someone else's eyes. And I have to say, <laughs> there's an amazing sense of freedom that I've experienced just in this one episode of the freedom of not being curtailed by my own beliefs, but to see things in another more broad way. It's very freeing. So thank you. That's my story, and I'm so grateful to be in this program. My father was born in 1929 in Leesburg, Pennsylvania. It's a small town outside of Pittsburgh. He was a year old when Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King was born in Atlanta, Georgia. So they lived through the same times. My father was a quiet man. He focused on building a better life for his family. His father had been a barber in Leedsdale and he was killed in his 50s in an automobile accident. My dad did his best to take care of his mother, but the prospects of living in a small town was not for him. So he joined the Air Force in 1949 at a time when racism was rampant across our country, in the military, and everywhere around him. He met my mom in the 1950s, early 1950s actually, in Los Angeles. And they got married and he continued to have his career in the Air Force and built the foundation for our family. This summer, during the COVID-19 stay-at-home order, I took the time to go through a box that I had brought home after my mother passed away and my father had passed away much earlier. I found it in their home in Arizona and I brought it home, put it in my storage room and it just sat there for years. 
So I took the time to go through the box during the stay-at-home order. It was filled with my dad's military records. It included all the assignments that he had been given. We traveled all over the world. We went to England. We went to many places in the United States. It was filled with his promotions and letters of commendation. And as I was going through it, I was stunned by how much I didn't know about him. I uncovered pictures that showed him in many of his assignments. And he was, in many cases, the only person of color in those assignments. He was able to go into a technical role in the military, which was extremely difficult for black airmen to accomplish at that time. I also learned that he had been considered a mentor and leader in the units that he was a part of. So while he was in the military doing all of that, and he worked very hard, he also had seven children. And he was dedicated to my mom and to all of us. I learned that he was a quiet activist who worked really hard to give his family opportunities that were not available to his parents and also in some cases to him. I just can't imagine the amount of racism that he experienced while he was in the military. In his last assignment in Spokane, right here in Washington, when we moved there, several years after we moved there, he had the audacity to move into a very nice home in an all-white neighborhood on the South Hill, which was an area that was considered an elite section of town. Many of the neighbors tried to find a way to keep us from moving in that area, but my dad persisted. So we moved into our new home. We attended the local schools and he was determined that we received a good education. Dad worked really hard to fit into that neighborhood. Our lawn was always pristine. The house was well kept. And even though he didn't make a lot of money, he gave us everything that we needed to thrive. He didn't talk a lot about race, but instead he worked really hard to be a good example and positively represent his race. Sometimes the arc of moral, the moral universe bends toward justice in different ways. My father's impact, while it seems normal, could even be looked at as somewhat small. It wasn't. The impact flowed across the generations in my family. I see my father's quiet determination in myself and my siblings, as many of us are actively involved in fighting for racial justice. That determination has been passed down to my children who are starting to get actively involved in racial justice initiatives. 
And it's even being passed on to my young grandchildren because they are learning about their heritage from all of us. And that foundation that my father built is one of the reasons why I am so passionate about the work that I'm doing with the FOSS Collaborative, developing the new version of Beloved Conversations. When COVID-19 abruptly halted workshops that we had scheduled across the country, congregations told us, you can't stop. We have an urgent need to focus on racial justice. The murders of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and many others sparked outrage across the country. As COVID-19 spread in the US, Asian Americans began to report incidents of racial slurs and physical abuse because of the erroneous perception that they were responsible somehow for COVID-19. And as we well know, there is an assault occurring on the home ground of Native American sites across the country, disrespects the lives and tradition of indigenous people. And then we are also seeing the dangerous and dehumanizing conditions for children and adults at the border detention center for Mexicans. And now the horror of the insurrection of white supremacists across the Capitol. All of these are truly testing our faith as Unitarian Universalists to stand up for justice and take action. COVID-19 quarantines meant that there would be a different approach. We had to have something different and it had to be focused on collective learning. In May, we developed a curriculum team and committed to developing a workshop that would be available in early October. That may seem like we had a lot of time, but it, it was not. <laughs> we had to figure out what platform we were going to use. We had to figure out how we were going to put together groups so that they could work together. And we wanted to come up with some innovative ideas around all of that. I had been delivering Beloved Conversation workshops face-to-face -face for six years. And our team had updated that curriculum, the face-to-face -face curriculum, multiple times to address changes in our world. But we had been dreaming of creating a virtual workshop so that small congregations and individuals along with larger congregations could participate and have the opportunity to move forward. So we move forward to create something brand new. And I had been convinced throughout the years of delivering workshops that focusing on racial justice from a spiritual perspective had to start with deep learning about ourselves so that we could overcome our own barriers. And I really believed that that work would help us to move towards freedom and so be the support that, that would help us to take actions moving forward. 
So you heard the experience of two speakers today, and thank you, Sue and Mark, talking about their six-month experience in the beta. It was definitely a beta program. We called the program Within, and it included space for personal reflection, conversations with a critical friend, someone who knew you that you could talk with, and group learning pods so that you could all talk together. And as someone mentioned, I think it was Mark or Sue, also hold each other accountable. And then there were additional resources in each lesson. Then all of those activities were tied together with a meaning-making session, which was a place of worship, just like we are doing right now, to come together and be in community with one another around the things that we are learning. The other thing that we did is we created a separate space for Black, Indigenous, and people of color to center their needs. Religious professionals were also, also had the opportunity for their own space if they wanted it. So when we announced Beloved Conversations Virtual, we thought, okay, we'll get a couple hundred people to sign up. Boy, were we astonished, elated, and petrified when 1,100 people signed up for the program. It has been a crazy, challenging, exhilarating ride. And it was like building an airplane while we were flying it. As many of the participants of the program, um, as a participant of, of creating the program actually, I had to learn some things about myself as I worked with the curriculum development team. So it's not just about the participants. All of us that are, were in the development team learned many things. During the first few weeks of the program, we had meetings to start developing it. And I was really overwhelmed. The team had a lot of great ideas. And we had vigorous discussions about approaches and concepts. Some of them I'm not from, I was not familiar with. And I started to wonder, what, what, what am I going to add to these discussions? What do I have to bring? Our first session for Black, Indigenous, and people of color focused on looking back at our ancestors and acknowledging and celebrating them for the impact that they had on our lives. And I decided to do the first exercise, to actually go through the whole thing. And it gave me an opportunity to identify my parents, my grandparents, aunts, uncles, and other family members who had an impact on my life. I decorated a box with some of their images and talked with my pod members about my ancestors. It was such a liberating experience to acknowledge and celebrate those who came before me. And I found that I could access the strength, the resilience of my father and the other ancestors to fully acknowledge and embrace the experience they gave me, the knowledge I had inside, and that commitment that I had to focusing on racial justice, 
to fully engage with the development team. Get on that airplane. It was scary sometimes. As it started, took off on the runway. We took off. We were building it while we took off and creating the program. For those of you who have participated in the beta version of Beloved Conversations, I'm grateful for your willingness to join with us as we launch this virtual learning platform. You embraced an opportunity, like me, an opportunity to try on something brand new. You had the practice, the art of not knowing what was happening next. Because as you finished a module in the workshop, we were developing the next one. So you had to wait to find out what information we were going to provide. You learned to be in relationship with one another without seeing each other face to face and have deep conversations in those Zoom meeting rooms. You worship together as a community while letting go of the need for perfection. I know we had many technical glitches and you patiently waited through them. I'm hopeful that each of you had an opportunity for faithful growth via your own reflections, your participation with your learning groups and critical friends. There are no grades or tests for this work. There's no graduation to the next grade, but there is joy and in the abundance of choosing again and again to see ourselves and side with love. So where do we go from here as racism in our country continues over and over and over again in many large ways to rear its ugly head? How do we continue to fight white supremacy culture and embrace the needs of black and indigenous people of color and other people of color. If you are ready, if you are ready, I invite you to join the Beloved Conversations virtual community, which begins in March. Material is going to be brand new from the September sessions, and it will be accessible to people who are just beginning the workshop or those who want to continue, and we hope you do want to continue from the fall. The Sessions for White People has a new name. It's called Beloved Conversations Virtual, unslash learning for liberation. You can contact Nicole if you would like to sign up. I can't tell you how grateful I am to be part of a religious community that is committed to acting with urgency as black, indigenous, and people of color are attacked on so many fronts. The Reverend Leon Dunkley, who is a black Unitarian Universalist minister writes, this is the time of great heartbreak. 
if we are courageous, it can also be a time of great healing. It is up to us. We have to decide. We must choose. If we decide to surrender to heartbreak, we need do nothing at all. What we are in the middle of doing now will get us there. If we choose to surrender to healing, we have to trust one another far more deeply. We have to trust ourselves. It is time now.